0: Good evening. It's time for us to begin. Welcome to everyone, especially any visitors that we might have. Uh, I'm glad you're with us. I hope you'll come back and be with us again. Um, I didn't check to see who was uh, on for scripture reading and prayer and so forth, but I'm just going to assume that that has been taken care of. If you will, turn to 581 if you're using your songbook. Uh, If not, Follow the screen up here, and we'll sing all three verses of Sing On. And if you will, please stand, if it's convenient for you.
1: Sing on, ye joyful pilgrims, nor think the moment's long.
0: Next song is number five hundred forty-two. Five hundred forty-two. Sing this song and we'll have our reading and our prayer. All three verses.
1: G.
2: The reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day of life. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity toward the end of it to be able to gather with those of like precious faith, to be able to open up your word, to study it, to have our faith strengthened, to have our memories jolted, and to have our fellowship strengthened by being together. Father, we pray that you'll be with Chris as he stands before us, and we will open our hearts to your word as he he, uh, sets it forth to us. We pray, Father, that we will uh, do self-inspection, self-inventory in our lives and and apply those things that we know we need to be doing and making the necessary changes in our lives personally and then try to help others and do likewise. Father, we pray that you'll bless this congregation, bless the elders that lead, the deacons that serve, the men that minister your word, and every member, Father, that teaches and is is a part of this uh, working body and the good that they're doing in this community, we pray it will continue and even increase. Father, we know that there are are many names and many difficulties and problems that are uh, coming before your throne. Individuals that are struggling with disease and illness and injury, COVID and other things. Father, we pray that you'll bless them and help them. These things will draw us closer to you that they'll remind us that this world is fleeting; that we're simply passing through. That we're looking for something far greater than this life will ever have to offer. Be with the families of these ones, Father, and strengthen them. Help them to to uh, put their cares and worries upon You, and know that You'll work all things together for their good. Father, we pray for our nation, for our leaders. We are discouraged at times, Father, but we know that You continue to rule in the kingdoms of men that you are in charge and that we, as your children, ought to pillow our heads at night knowing that and sleep well, knowing that you will care for, for your people and that you will rule and, and bring about things that you know are best for humanity. Be with our military and law enforcement, local and abroad. Be with those that have lost loved ones, Father. We pray, Father, that the enemies of our nation, will be defeated in things that they try in harming us, that our military and law enforcement will protect us, and that you'll be with them. Father, we pray that you will grant us mercy as we confess our sins, and show us forgiveness, Father, as we confess those sins. And may we be willing to do likewise to those who wrong us. Thank you, Father, above all things, for your Son who loved us and died for us all he was willing to, to give up, all he was willing to go through for us, Father, that our small minds will never be able to comprehend the magnitude of. But especially, Father, what he continues to do right now is our risen Lord and reigning King and merciful high priest. We're grateful, Father, for that. We ask all of these things by the authority and power of your Son's name.
0: Amen. Psalm invitation is number six hundred sixty-four, and the song before the lesson this evening is number four hundred eight. If it's convenient for you, last please stand again. Four hundred eight. Low in the grave he lay.
1: Low in the.
3: one of you with us this, this evening be turning to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. We're starting a s we started a series last week where we're walking through some of the Old Testament characters, specifically the ones found in Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus. And we're we're looking at them perhaps through a different light than we've ever looked through them before maybe. It's certainly a light I've never uh, looked at them through. So we wanted to take their entire story and understand what God is trying to convey to us through this, this man or this woman's story. Later on in Matthew's genealogy, there are some significant women that we need to talk about as well. And So we're following through uh, that series. Last week we talked about Abraham. Tonight we're visiting uh, his son, Isaac. And so we have to ask ourselves... In any story of Scripture that we study, when we're studying narrative, we have to ask ourselves, why did God include this story as opposed to other ones? Isaac lives a long time. I think he lived 185 years. Uh, Why does God include the stories that he includes for Isaac and uh, excludes others? He's got a point, right? He's got an agenda as he tells Isaac's story He's trying to get somewhere. He's never, ever just telling the story. He's trying to convey a spiritual principle to us as he tells the story. No doubt, there are multiple spiritual principles that we can and should be learning from each one of these characters we find in the Old Testament. Our goal is to find the one, uh, if there can be one uh, major principle that we can learn from these characters Uh, We're going to attempt to do that, to find that that one main point. So grab your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 62, because that's where you pick up with Isaac's story. Isaac, if you've never read through the book of Genesis, most of us probably have, right? Because Genesis 24 is pretty early on in the Bible. And so as you've walked through that one year in a uh, Bible in a year reading, I bet you made it to Genesis 24. So you've probably started, at least started, Isaac's story... ...if you haven't finished the whole thing. But have you ever noticed how sandwiched he is? You never really get Isaac's story, do you? You get Abraham's story and how Isaac connects with him in Genesis 22. uh, Isaac's a young man, probably around the age of 13... uh, ...when Abraham goes to sacrifice uh, him. And then in Genesis 24... Toward the end of the chapter, he's a grown man at this point. He's 30 years old, and he's looking for a wife. What transpired in between Genesis 22 and right here at the end of Genesis 24 is more of Abraham's story, filling in the gaps on how Abraham found Isaac's wife and the importance of, Uh, that Isaac not marry a a Canaanite woman. Remember, they're living now in the promised land. Abraham left Haran and he traveled down until God, God told him to stop and he ended up at Canaan. God told him, do not allow your son to marry a Canaanite woman. This line is special and so he's going to send his most trusted servant back. Uh, to uh, Haran and he's going to there take a wife from Abraham's family and so Rebecca comes home and that story is fabulous Uh, read through that uh, this week at some point it's just kind of incredible how the servant chooses uh, Rebecca and God's obviously got his hand in the midst of all that but we're going to to skip through that tonight as we talk about Isaac's story and what God wants us to learn from that and how Rebekah intersects with Isaac. So on this side you've got Abraham and then you've got a very short period of Isaac's story and then the rest of Isaac's story is really his children's story, isn't it? Specifically Jacob's story because Jacob is going to be the fulfillment. His, his, he's going to have 12 sons and those 12 sons begin the nation of Israel very quickly as a matter of fact. And so the, 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 the multiple descendants that are as countless as the stars, all that starts, of course, with Isaac, but it really gets going, I guess you could say, with Jacob's children. And so Abraham on this side, very quick little tidbits here about Isaac. And then it goes into Jacob and Esau's story, and then you, you lose track of Isaac, he dies. Um, and so it's interesting that he's sandwiched so much. You don't really get, there's no room in the narrative for Isaac. It's, just, it's just kind of interesting. But right here in Genesis 24, verse 62, we find our first announcement of Isaac on his own. Abraham's already died. Uh, and and uh, well, he's going to meet Rebekah and Abraham's going to die in a bit. Uh, but this is this is kind of his first introduction to us as a grown man. In verse 62, 24, Genesis 24, verse 62, we read, Now, Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai, Ro, and was dwelling in the Negev. Now, that city is really interesting, right? Because if you mark in your scriptures, you're, you're probably going to want to underline that. Why does he tell us where he was living? Well, he, Moses, God... Moses writes Genesis, right? Genesis through Deuteronomy are penned by Moses, but ultimately God's the author, of course. And so he draws our attention to this city by naming it. He's fond of doing that in Genesis. He wants you to, to bring out the map and see where Moses and Isaac and Jacob and, and their descendants, he wants you to see where all they travel to. and He wants you to be familiar with this country and these cities. But in this instance, he names the city... For more than just geographical context, do you, do you are you familiar with this city? Do you know what else has happened in that place? It's not a city. As a matter of fact, it's just a little spot out in the middle of the desert. This is the exact spot. In fact, this is how it got its name: where Hagar. Remember Hagar from last week? Adam's. Or, Adam. Wow, not that far back. Abraham's. Uh, concubine, second wife, however you want to look at her. She is Sarah's servant that she gave to Abraham uh, to produce offspring with. uh, And all of that convoluted story just works to mess things up in the future for Abraham's descendants. But when Sarah forces Abraham to push Hagar and Ishmael away, Ishmael's about 13 years old when this happens, uh, he He forces, uh, Sarah has forced uh, um, Abraham to push Hagar and and Ishmael away. And so uh, it's possible that he doesn't give them very much provision in the hopes that they'll stay close. But that ends up backfiring on them. Uh, The water jug that he gave her, he didn't even give her an animal, apparently, like a camel or a donkey to carry it on. Although he has those in abundance, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give her one of those most likely in the hopes that she stays close so he can keep some sort of connection. You'll see in a little bit, Abraham's a good father. He's going to marry after Sarah dies. He has six more sons, and he provides for them as well. He's a good dad. Um, So it looks to me like he wants to keep them close, perhaps so he can continue that relationship, continue to provide for Hagar and Ishmael. But it ends up backfiring on him because they run out of water in the middle of the desert. And... Hagar thinks that it's all over Ishmael and she are about to die. And so she puts Ishmael over here and she goes probably a football field away or so. So she doesn't have to watch her son die uh, of thirst. But at that point an angel uh, appears to Hagar and he says everything's going to be fine. God's going to build a nation out of Ishmael and everything's going to be okay. Um, and she names this spot, guess, Bir Lah Haro, the exact spot where Isaac has returned from. He set up shop in the spot where God appeared to Hagar. Now, why in the world did he do that? That seems interesting, right? Why did he do that? Remember, when you study, especially Genesis, uh, especially Acts, uh, you're going to want to bring out a map because some of these cities are important. It's not ge- It's not just geography. Some of us struggled in school with geography, right? This isn't just geography. This is spiritual principles that he's using geography to teach us, right? So why is Isaac in this place? Well, Hagar saw God in this place. It seems possible to me that Isaac thinks that he's going to see God in this place too. Now, fast forward. Just a verse or so, verse 63. And we need to talk a little bit about this too. uh, Genesis 24, verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. This is when he sees Rebekah. But this seems to be his M.O. In the evenings he would go out into the middle of the fields and he would, quote unquote, meditate. And so what's, what's he doing there? It looks like the word may not be meditate. Uh, you may have praying. Some of your translations may say that he's praying. He's not praying necessarily. The word there is more correctly interpreted lament. Uh, he's crying out to God. He, he's frustrated. He's angry. His mom has just died. Uh, and so he's, he's struggling with the ramifications of that. Uh, And one night when he's out there, he sees camels coming in the distance and that will be his new wife. All of that and and other things in this this section lead us to believe that Isaac is possibly not the spiritual giant that he will possibly one day become. We just don't know an awful lot about his spiritual condition. We're given some clues and I think these are a couple of clues that maybe we can derive from. Some things from. Um, but let's, let's fast forward a little bit. In Genesis 25, you find Abraham and his descendants. Um, and then you've got the birth of Esau and Jacob. And so uh, Isaac's story has to wait until after his sons are born. So it's, it's almost like God's really interested in Abraham's story. And then he kind of fast forwards through the child of promise to get to Jacob it 's just kind of interesting there 's not, there's not even room for Isaac in in the Genesis narrative, so you get to meet uh, Esau and Jacob, and you remember the story they 're twins uh, and they they 're fighting so much even in utero uh, that Rebekah goes to Yahweh and she, she she inquires of him, she asks him a question why is what 's going on and, he tells you, you know, you've got two nations fighting uh, in your womb and they're going to grow up and they're going to do all kinds of things that are um, that are interesting and and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the, he, he mentions here that the older one shall serve the younger. Uh, there in Genesis 25 verse 23, which is unheard of, right? The older one is always in charge. The older son uh, is always in charge. In fact, he receives... Uh, Two thirds uh, of the father's inheritance. If you have three boys, if you have three children, three boys, uh, then the oldest one would receive an extra portion, and so the other ones would have to split what's left uh, in half. And that's what's that's what's going to happen here. And so Esau comes comes up. The boys are grown now. God's fast forwarding very quickly throughout this narrative again, so he can get to I think Jacob. Because uh, there's not even room for Isaac in his own story. And he says uh, that Jacob was cooking stew. Apparently Jacob's more of a homebody. He's, uh, the word that God uses to describe him, he's, he's cultured, he's civilized. While Esau uh, <laughs> is more of a, a good old boy. He's a, he's a redneck kind of thing, I guess. Uh, but uh, Jacob's more more cultured and civilized. And so he's, he's pictured here as cooking stew. Esau comes in the field from a long day of hunting and... Uh, He wants some food, and Jacob's a tricky, tricky guy, and that's going to come back to bite him in the end too, just like it does Abraham. Remember, deception always comes back in the end. Remember how Abraham deceived Pharaoh and Abimelech? It's going to come back to bite them. This this deception of Jacob is going to come back to bite him years down the line. But he says, give me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. Now that's a really bad deal because the birthright is the extra portion, so if you 've got two boys, the oldest one gets two thirds uh, of the of the dad's inheritance, and the the last one gets one third and so the the younger boy gets the short end of the stick and here Esau is reversing those roles he's saying. Well, what does what two-thirds of dad's stuff mean to me if I die right here? He's kind of being a little dramatic, right? And so he sells off his birthright. Um, Moses, through God here, uh, tells us that in verse 34, that thus Esau despised his birthright. There's, not a, there's, a, there's several times in Genesis where God's going to point out for us that the person sinned, but he's going to blow through. He's going to overlook that on several occasions, right? But here he thinks it's important enough to point out that Esau has done something wrong. Uh, This is not even something a pagan would do. It's not even in his best interest. This is just something that happened uh, because I guess he wasn't thinking clearly or something. And so he sells off his birthright. And so uh, then God puts in this promise to Isaac. It's the exact same promise that he's made to Abraham because Isaac and Rebecca are also having troubles bearing children, just like Abraham and Sarah did. In fact, it's going to be 20 years um, that they're going to be married that they they will not be able to have children and eventually, after 20 years, Rebecca will will become pregnant with with these two twins. But God's going to make this promise to Isaac. I'm going to give you land, the land that you're currently living in. Look as far as you can see. Either way, that's your land. That's going to be where your descendants dwell. It's a good land, right? Flowing with milk and honey one day. And so you're going to have the land, but you're also going to have descendants uh, like the stars of the sky. Directly after that promise, Isaac does something that just kind of makes you roll your eyes, doesn't he? Uh, look in uh, Genesis 26, verse 6. It says, So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Now, that sounds awfully familiar because that's exactly what his dad did uh, just a couple of decades earlier with Sarah, his wife. And Rebecca is not his sister. She's his cousin. She's not his sister. And so he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, the difference between Rebecca and uh, Sarah is no one's going to try to take Rebecca in fact, uh, in verse 8, it says he had been there a long time. We don't know how long. Scripture doesn't, like, doesn't let us in on how long is a long time. But he'd been there for a while. And Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Uh, there's something um, suggestive about this, this laughing um, episode here it's more than just he was not just telling her a joke <laughs> uh, verse 9 says so Abimelech called Isaac and said behold she's your wife how then could you say she's my sister Isaac said to him because I thought lest I die because of her now where is his faith where's his faith God has just given him the promise I'm going to give you land I'm going to give you descendants He's a sojourner. He's a pilgrim. He's, he doesn't own any of the land. In fact, his dad, just a few years earlier, had to pay for a cave so that he could bury his wife. So, these guys don't own land here yet. They're just passing through, right? They're just renting space in the middle of the Philistine territory in what is uh, what will one day be the promised land, Canaan. So, they don't own land here yet. So, God's promise hasn't been fulfilled there yet, has it? And Isaac doesn't even have children himself yet. So, neither one of those promises have come to fruition yet. So, he's not going to die. Right? For some reason, there's a disconnect here with, with Isaac and he just doesn't get it. And So, he lies and he's he's got, he has all this fear uh, even though he should have had uh, solid, rock solid faith. So, From there, uh, the Philistines ask him to leave because at this point, God has so blessed Isaac like He said He would. Right? God's faithfulness is all throughout this story. We'll we'll get to uh, the big part of that. Why I think faithfulness uh, is Isaac's uh, is what we should get out of Isaac's story. But the Philistines have asked Isaac to leave them because he's gotten so so much stuff. He's become wealthy. He's become mighty. And so the Philistines say in verse 16 of Genesis 26, uh, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And so Isaac departed from there. He left, uh, and he goes away, and he he settles in a different little uh, spot not too far away. And eventually, those same guys come back to Isaac, and they say, Well, we want to make a peace treaty with you, uh, because we're kind of scared of you. And so they they make this peace treaty, um, and and everything seems to be coming up roses. The problem is that they're going to start digging up wells. They've already, as Isaac has left um, this territory, they started filling in the wells that Abraham dug. And so Isaac's going to have to come back through, and he's going to redig dig those, those wells again. Now, Genesis 27. So this is the, this is the part of the story... Uh, that Isaac is an old man by this point. So you've gone from seeing Isaac as a young man on the altar with Abraham in Genesis 22 very quickly to Genesis 27 where he's an old man and he can't see well. And so uh, Jacob is able to trick his dad into uh, giving him the blessing. Now, what's the, what's the difference between a blessing and a birthright? Well, the birthright is he gets two-thirds of his dad's stuff, Right? Uh, The dad's inheritance, all the flocks and the land, all that kind of stuff. He gets two thirds of that, while Esau only gets a third of it, thanks to Esau's stupidity. And now he's going to get the blessing, thanks to his deception, which again is going to come back to bite him uh, in the end. But uh, so now he's got not only the birthright, but also the blessings, and this infuriates Esau. Go back and read through Genesis 27 at some point today or tomorrow. Esau is furious, so much so that he 's ready to kill Isaac, and so Rebecca has to send Isaac away uh, has to send uh, Jacob away uh, to to her brother um, Laban, and he 's going to go back and and he 's going to spend some time there um, and and that 's where Laban 's going to take advantage of um, of Jacob, and the deception comes back to bite him there. Here's what I want you to see. Back when they are digging the wells in Genesis 26, look in verse 19. Here's where I think Isaac's story really hits home for us. Genesis 26, verse 19, back up to verse 17. So Isaac departed from there, and he camped in the valley of Gerir and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerir quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. So now he's redigging the exact same wells that his dad had dug decades earlier. And he's getting the water, and his animals are, are getting the, the, the sustenance that they need. But then these guys come over, and they own the land. And they say, that water is ours, and Isaac doesn't even fight. That's interesting, right? There's some, there's some maturity there. There's some spirituality there. Uh, I think we're probably supposed to to read into this, um, that he knew that God was going to take care of them, at least possibly. In um, verse 22 he says, And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Reboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. That's, that's the ticket right there. I think that little, the, the, this well, I think his entire story spins on the axis of this well. The Lord has made room us it's interesting to me that even in his own story isaac doesn't you, you never really get his story we don't know really anything about this guy from the time he's 13 to the time when he's old we just get these very sporadic stories and they're really about other people Abraham or Rebekah or his children, uh, Jacob and Esau. They're not really about Isaac. There's no room in his story for him. And so it seems like God is telling us, even in his story, he's making room for Isaac. Um, and here Isaac gets that. He finally has come to the conclusion that God is going to what? Be faithful. He's going to be faithful. He struggled with that thought Just like we do and just like his dad did. Remember Abraham went over into Egypt, lied about Sarah. Why? Because he didn't think God was going to be faithful. He does it again in the Philistine territory. Why? He tells us why there. Because he didn't think God was going to be faithful. Isaac does the exact same thing. Why? Because he didn't think God was going to be faithful. But here, after all this time, all this experience with God, all the times when he saw God taking care of Abraham and everything just kind of working out, even though it should not have. You don't move into the middle of a desert in this day and age, in Abraham's time, and everything just kind of come up roses and you become wealthy. It just doesn't work like that. Maybe if you're a savvy businessman, something like that can happen. Maybe if all the chips fall just right, that can happen. But then your son does the exact same thing, even more wealthy than you became. That's God's hand in this in this mix. And now Isaac has seen it all the way through. He's watched God be faithful time and time again. And so these guys come after he digs this one well and they fight and say, That's our well. Isaac says, Okay, whatever. God's giving me all this land, anyhow. <laughs> There's, there's coming a day when you're not going to inhabit this land, when my children will. So you, you, want that, you want that well, you take it. I'll get it back later. And so he goes over and he digs, and, digs another well. And they say the exact same thing. This water's ours. Nah, you can have it if you want it. I'll go over here and I'll dig another one. So he goes over and he digs another one. And finally they don't, they don't pressure him there. And so he's found God faithful, right? God's made room for him. That's what he says. Isn't that a beautiful thought? God's made room for him. He's made room for you too. Because he's faithful. It's what he does. Right? If you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. The passage that was read for us this evening. I want you to hear that, that first thought. One more time. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. It's coming, right? Oftentimes we focus on the last half of that verse because it talks about salvation. It's all coming. He's going to fulfill His promises. I want you to focus on the first part of that passage. He's not slow in fulfilling His promises. It will happen. He will be faithful. It's who He is. And so if you're struggling... Tonight, He's faithful. If you need somebody to, to talk to, if you need someone to lean into, often times we look for a good friend, right? Or our spouse, or somebody that we think can help us. Lean into Him, because he's, he's faithful. He's made room for you. Interestingly enough, Jesus is going to say this same word in John 14, when He's talking about heaven. The disciples understand finally that Jesus is about to leave them. And so they say, well, we want to go with you. And he says, no, you're going to have to stay here. But where I'm going, I'm going to come back and bring you to myself because there's, there's room for you there. Old King James, has, there's mansions for you there, but the, the word is room. There's plenty of space for you. So God's made space for you here. In that he's faithful, like he is faithful to Isaac, but he's also made room for you in heaven. There's plenty of room for everyone that wants to come. And so tonight, do you want to come? Do you are, are you ready? Have you made the correct preparations so that you can go to heaven? Have you been baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away, becoming pure and clean in His sight? Maybe you haven't. And you're just struggling, and you need the prayers of this congregation. Uh, so that you can walk in a way that's worthy, so that you can know that he's made room, that he's going to be faithful to you. If you have any need tonight, why do not you come as we stand and sing?
1: Rock that forever shall stand, Jesus, the rock of ages, that rocks across its arms outspread, celestial. the rock of ages remain standing if you
4: will good evening church family couple announcements before we are dismissed Um, uh, we need still one more teacher for two-year-olds through kindergarten uh, for wednesday night if you can help out with that please see me um, also, marking the calendars, there's a Teen Devo for middle school and high school on September the 12th, and Young at Heart is September the 21st. Um, also, remember to continue to keep uh, in our prayers. Our sympathies are expressed to Marvin and Judy Jordan, the death of Marvin's cousin, Lee Jordan. So remember that the Jordan family in your prayers. Also, Hilda's brother passed away today. So remember the Bragg family in your prayers. Uh, Carol Bragg passed away. We've been praying for a while, uh, for Hilda's brother, but um, just remember Hilda and the rest of the family in your prayers at this time. It was good to see Alan here, paying this morning, uh, but remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep Sherry Pittman's mother in your prayers, Wanda Allen. Also, remember to continue to keep Kelly Williams in your daily prayers, Uh, Marvin McAllister's sister, Carol, uh, remember to continue to keep her in your prayers, um, and also... Uh, Dr. Stephen Miller, that's uh, Sherry Ward's brother, uh, has COVID. Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Nephew. Yes. nephew, yes.
0: <laughs> Relative.
4: Relative. <laughs> 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 oh, man. But, um, and also remember to keep Chris in your prayers as he's heading to Waverly uh, this week for the passing of his, um, his stepfather, Also, remember, um, Sawyer's leaving tomorrow, so remember to keep him in your prayers as he flies back to California in the morning, so have a safe flight back home. He's got a job. And he has a job, so he's going back, uh, so that's great. And Kent got a job, too, I saw as well, so that's great. Our kids are growing up. They grow up fast, don't they? Well, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. And we'll sing one more song We be dismissed in prayer. Sing
0: the first and last verses of 646, The Love of God.
1: The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen. Can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the Lord.
3: Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this day and everything you've given us, and thank you for letting Chris come up here and teach your word and help us share it with others. Thank you for a place like this where we can come and worship you. And please be with our country and everything that's going on and help us take your guidance and use it and apply everything you've gave to us. And please be with everybody that's on their prayer list and help them get better. And thank you for all of our blessings that we have. And most importantly, thank you for Jesus on the cross to forgive us of our sins. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.